All right, Ezra and Nehemiah, this is a book we're in right now. It's an Old Testament book. It's uh, most of our Bibles. It looks like two books. Uh, originally, it was one, one scroll, one manuscript. So Jewish tradition would have it as one before it was, was split apart. Uh, this is kind of halfway through your Old Testament uh, book, and it tells a story of, of Israel. So God's kind of people in this, in this story. They're in captivity. They're marched off to, to Babylon. When Bab- the Babylonian Empire takes over. Uh, they take uh, a bunch of people with them as captives, mostly the, the good people, right? So they actually took the smart people, those who can be helpful. This is where we see the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends were taken because they were smart. Let's take them to be with us. And they left the other people behind. Uh, Babylon falls to Persia. So Persia is now taken over. Persia aqu- sort of acquires all these captives because they're there. Uh, and then the, the king's heart softens. The Lord speaks to him and says, you know what? Let's send the people back home and let's send them to go build their temple and their city and their walls and their altar and let's pay for it. So this huge, surprising deliverance happens, this massive miracle, and that's the beginning of Ezra. Last week, we kind of talked about this shopping cart idea. If you uh, were here or not here, um, if, you were, if you were here and you heard about it, you probably thought about it this week a little bit if you were out. But it's this idea, what motivates us when we see, when we have a shopping cart, we get to our car, is it something that we put back? Are, are you a returner? Are you like a never returner? Are you a convenience returner? Are you a peer pressure returner if there's people watching? So we all kind of have these things. We go through these modes. And so many people came up to me like, you know what? I strategically park next to the shopping cart return so that I can, it can be easy for me. So I'm a convenience returner, but I do want to do it. And some people are like, I don't do it. I just push it further away. But it's kind of, what's the motivation from that? Is there people around? Is it just because it's the law? What, what are those things? And so when we go through these, these texts, especially the Old Testament, are dealing with the laws. Like, what's motivating the people really? Is it, is it just peer pressure? Um, is it they feel guilty? What's motivating, motivating them toward this? So we got this story. These people are starting to take off to, uh, back to their homeland. And there's this good outpouring of people, a whole bunch of them, but not everybody. And so God spoke to the king to release them. And then he spoke to the people to go. So it needed, it needed both. He needed to activate someone to sort of get this story in motion. Like, hey, we want you to go home. And then God moved his Ruah spirit, opened up in people to participate as, as well. And it's just about 40,000 people or so start to go. And it's just good to have a journey together. They're, they kind of have a plan. They're trying to keep up with God's plan, which keeping up with God's plan can sometimes be difficult. Uh, I read this quote this week. If there is a God, his plan is very similar to someone not having a plan. Because he just feels like sometimes it's like, is there a plan? Like, I know there's going to be. Right now, it doesn't feel like it. And it's nice to do that, walk through that kind of stuff together. This week, um, we had a chance to go down to L.A. for an event that uh, Amy does every year. I've done a few times. Some of you have heard about this. It's just typically had historically been tied in with the Golden Globes, and it's a benefit for Haiti. Uh, Sean Penn and Leonardo DiCaprio and just some uh, Hollywood A-list type people. And it's fun. It's this dinner. It's this gala. You see all these uh, kind of people you see on TV or the, or the big screen. And I wasn't going to go this year. I wasn't planning on it. I was like, well, you guys go. I, I go sometimes, but it's, it's late. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. And, and I was going to let it go. Last Sunday at church, they found out that Alex was thinking about going down. So I'm like, wait, you're going? Like, now I kind of want to go. He's like, well, I might be going. I'm like, well, are you going or not going? He's like, ah, I got to talk to work. I think I'm going. I'm like, oh, I'm in if you're in. Anyone ever, anyone ever feel like that in life? Like, I'm in if you're in. Like, but I want to know you're in. And so he come over, comes over to the house, I think, that, that, that night for a planning meeting. So we talk about it. It was you know, probably 10 people. Some Jason and Natalie went down, some others. And uh, to plan this thing out. And like, okay, so you're in. He's like, well, I'm like 90%. 
I'm like, well, it's, it's like tomorrow. Are you going or not? Like, well, I got I to find out. And I was like, oh, how am I supposed to attach on to this if I don't know you're all in? And sometimes when we're, when we're working our lives, working at our lives with God, we're like, are you in, God? Because I, I know you say you're in. I think you're in. I think you're real. I'm going to do stuff. But I kind of want to know. And it feels like God's like, yeah, I'm like 90%. You're like, wait, what am I supposed to do with that? And that's sort of that faith spot, right? He's just always a little bit outside. And it sometimes feels like, I don't know. He, your plan feels like someone who doesn't have a plan. Like, but when you get to the other side, you can look back and say, okay, there was something there. But when you're in the middle of it, it's hard. And you're just looking for someone like, I'm in if you're in. But are you in? I, I can't tell. Can you just tell me? And so for, for Israel and for God's people, and so much really of the, of the text of the Bible, they're kind of wading out into these waters like, I, I think God's leading us here. I think this is him. But then it starts to look like, wait a minute, I don't know if he saw this coming because this isn't really working out. Like things were really good, you know, a couple hundred years before. They had a, a city and an empire and they, and they were at a temple and they had all the cool religious stuff going on. And then it gets wiped out. Like, wait, what happened? I thought the plan was to get us this, this set up this kingdom for us. And now there's other nations coming over and, and then they destroyed our temple and our walls and our city. So wait, I, I thought you had a plan to deliver us, God. Because we got out of Egypt, I remember that story, like, you got us out of Egypt, but now, now we're going back into it? And so God's plan sometimes feels like that, like, wait a minute, you were leading me along, and now we're back here again? And so in this story, it's the people starting to go back, like, okay, God seems to be on the move again. He's doing something again for people who've been living in captivity. Uh, and last week we got through uh, all of about two chapters, and we'll see what we get today, maybe one or two. But it goes like this in chapter 3 of uh, Ezra. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. So this is after chapter 1 and 2, they are released, they're back to uh, their home city. <clears throat> Joshua, son of Josedek, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, and his associates began to build the altar of God, of Israel, to, to sacrifice burnt offerings. In accordance with, with what is written in the law of Moses, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the offer, altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, according to what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles uh, with the required amount of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. So, it kind of goes on with this sort of narrative, but the idea is that they, they began to rebuild. And this, this guy, Zerubbabel, who, who is really the beginning of Ezra, so the first six chapters or so, we don't even see Ezra. So it's, it's called Ezra. Many of us know it about Ezra going back if you read it before. But really, this is the guy. So this is the first guy. He and his associates began to build the altar of God, altar to the God of Israel. And this is for their burnt offerings and their sacrifices. And they're kind of going back to what they've known and back to the law. And, and he's, he's, he begins this, this process. So when they leave all together, they're leaving this, got kind of a map of some of this. They're, they're leaving from way down on this side, this, this eastern side. And they go through the red ones, Zerubbabel, the blue one will be Ezra. And this is a far journey. This, this journey is, is not like, oh, we're set free, we walk across the street. This is about four months four-month caravan of probably 40, 45,000 people, this, this initial return. So they get set free and say, hey, we're setting you free. We're going to give you supplies, which is stuff to celebrate. But then they have to do this, about 900 miles. And they, and they have to take this journey uh, through wilderness and through some tough areas. There's some other tribes and people out there uh, trying to get women and children. If you were an army, you could probably do it a little quicker. But this is, this is just everybody, everyone who wanted to go, 40, 45,000 people. 
Now, what's also interesting is when they were set free and the king said, hey, take anybody you want with you. Anyone who wants to go can go. There's probably two to three million Israelites captive in that city of, in Persia by this time. And a bunch of them, they're like, meh, we're good. Oh, we're set free. Awesome. Okay, we're going to start packing for the journey. Like, wait, the journey? Uh, never mind. I'm out. Like, that sounds kind of far. Four months? Mm, pass. I'll stay here. Because it seemed like maybe that was something they're praying for. Because we've all been there. Like, man, if this can only happen in my life, then it opens up. You're like, eh, I'm kind of good where I am. Like, oh, man, it would be awesome to do a, a Hollywood event and see celebrities and do that. And then it comes your way. Hey, do you want to go? Like, mm, actually, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm tired. kind of busy that night. And so the God's people are that way. They're like, man, this is going to be so amazing. And then it comes like, uh, I think we'll just stay here. You guys go first. And so he leads these, all these people, 40, 45,000 people, 900 miles, four months, this huge journey. And so God's freedom in this, in this sense is really just the beginning of the journey. And for some of us, that is, is where we're at or where you've been there. There's been a connection with the divine, like, okay. There is a God. I've, I've got that. I feel that in my heart. I feel freedom. I feel like I've been set free. I, I feel like I've been forgiven of any sins or, or, or condemnation or shame. But that's not the end. A lot of times that's just the beginning. God just shows up like, hey, you're free. And now your journey begins. And that can be a heart. It's easier just to say, oh, cool. Can we just be free here? Can I just stay in captivity and be free? And maybe you can just give us this empire instead of sending us to that one. But it's freedom sometimes. It's just the beginning of our journey. When, when Jesus interacts with people through the New Testament, and particularly in a couple of cases, uh, John 8, woman caught in adultery, said, hey, listen, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. You're, you're good. I love you. You are forgiven of, 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 of your trespasses, of your sin, but go and sin no more. Don't do this again. So you're free, but now you really have to begin your journey and not go back to where you are. Zerubbabel was born in, in captivity. He would have been born there in, in Persia. And uh, he, he's obviously sort of grown in that place. He was a leader of sorts. He did the best he could with that situation. Uh, he didn't know if he was ever going to leave. And then, and then he went. And sometimes being in captivity, because we all live there some, in some way, whatever, whatever that is for you, captivity, maybe that's some kind of self-image issues or depression or, or finances and uh, places you've been relationally, you just feel like trapped. Maybe you've inherited stuff from, from people uh, around you, your parents. You just feel like, man, I've inherited this captivity. I've just been born into it. That means it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Being born in captivity doesn't mean you have to stay in captivity. And some of us need to just tell ourselves that and remind ourselves that, like, okay, I know this is my life. doesn't mean you have to stay there. Whatever is going on, you do not have to stay there. It might take a little while. It'll probably take a lot of God, but don't just succumb to staying there. And so many people, their, their peers and contemporaries living in this city, they just acknowledge it. They just accept it. Like, you yeah, know, we're here. It's not that bad. Yeah, it would be great for us to have our own land, but we'll just live here now. And Zerubbabel is one of those guys, like, you just have to imagine when they said, hey, this word goes out, you guys are free to go. He's like, all right, I'm in. I am in. I didn't know when or if this was going to come, but I'm ready for it. I've, been, I've almost been planning for this my whole life, just in case God shows up. And he begins to move and he begins to get, do work on this, on this altar and this temple project. And when we're trapped in something, because I don't know where, where, you, where you come from and... 
some of you guys know my story, and, but about different seasons of life, you feel like, man, I'm just, this is just the way I am. I'm stuck here. And when I was a kid, I was super shy, super insecure. My brother was really close in age to me. He was a, was a huge personality, ton of fun. And, and I always just kind of felt like uh, in his shadow a little bit, even though he was younger. And some of you understand this. You've got siblings and parents label things like, oh, well, you're the smart, quiet one, and, and, and Daniel's the super fun one. Right? And like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm the quiet, loser, boring one over here. <laughs> and he, he has all the friends and gets to go to all the parties and stuff. And it's hard. You feel trapped in that. And like, yeah, I, I was fine at school, and maybe I, was, I, I have a sort of an introvert disposition. But I don't have to be trapped in that. I don't need, need it to be debilitating to me. But it feels like you're in captivity to yourself sometimes. Particularly, because I, I understand this as, as a core introvert, what it feels like, like... I wish I could be having more fun right now, but I'm so scared. And it's hard. And yet, some of our personalities are different. That's okay. But God wants to set us free from those things that hold us back. Finances are, 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 are some of us feel captive to our finances, being trapped in these things. Maybe it's debt or decisions or something that just happened out of your control. And maybe you can get free of it, but it's going to take some work. It's going to take a journey. It's like, okay. God's like, hey, I want you to be free of that. I'm going to help you, but now you have to start doing stuff. You have to stop spending this. You have to stop making these decisions. Like, oh, never mind. I'll stay here. Because captivity, just sometimes we just get stuck in it and it gets, becomes comfortable. So they come up with this plan. They start to rebuild. And they're going step by step. You know, right? they, they have this long journey. They've, they've got to get there and settle down. They don't know what's going to be there. They don't know who's going to be there. They've got to start getting supplies together, start moving on this journey. And, and it was just so important just to get moving, right? Just get, just get started. Just kind of take a step and, and, and start going the direction you want to be. Start becoming the person you want to be. Try living the person you want to be. doesn't all happen, have to happen at once, right? And don't be afraid of growing slowly. Like, okay i got to start somewhere. I'm going to grow slowly. Be afraid of standing still. Some of our lives, we just like, that's what we need to be afraid of, just staying in the same place. Take a step. Start growing out, out of wherever you're at. And so they start going to work, and it says, verse 3, despite their fear of the peoples around them. So remember, they're back in this land that has been unguarded for uh, 70 years or so. It's been destroyed. There's all these other people around who have maybe been pillaging it or maybe trying to camp out there themselves. They come back. There's a bunch of them, but again, this isn't a full army. And so despite the fear of the people around them who are like going to come raid them or pillage, they built the altar on its foundation, sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. So they resume their schedule of, of sacrifices and festivals. And they have a lot of stuff to do, but they knew we had to do this first. We've got to start honoring God first. We've got to get right with God first. And in this system, which, which Jesus fulfilled, we don't have this anymore. This was part of how they sort of kept their standing up with God, their forgiveness of sins. Like, all right, we have stuff going on in our life. We offer sacrifices. It's sort of this old world way of, of dealing with the divine at that time. And so they start that first, and they start to rebuild, and there's people around. They're nervous. I don't know if it's going to work out. And they get the plan together, and they start looking about how, how to build this stuff, how to build the temple. Verse 7 says this, And they gave money to masons and carpenters, and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. So they start going, like, we need all these people. We've got to get some people working on this. 
Here's what we have. Here's what the king sent us, olive oil and some riches. We need people on board. We need good people on board. We need these, these cedars from Lebanon. Why? Because, well, the first temple, some of us have followed this story that, that Solomon built, that King David was Solomon's David's son. Hey, hey I want you to build this. Uh, Solomon got these kind of plans to build this crazy temple. And he used these really elaborate gold and cedar from Lebanon and, and things from all over the world. And so, well, let's do that. If that's what they did the last time, let's, let's do that. Now, note in this story, if you, if you get into this text yourself over the next few weeks, I would encourage it. It doesn't say a lot about what God says. That doesn't mean God's not involved. He moved on the hearts of the king, moved on the hearts of the people. But it doesn't say, and then God said, build the temple this way. They're just going back to what they think they, they knew, what they had before. Oh, the Lebanon uh, cedar worked good before. Let's do that. That's when God really showed up. Even though maybe, maybe God didn't care that much. I don't know. I was in a, a Dexter's this past week, a uh, camera shop downtown. And I have this hat some of you see now. It says Jesus on it. And I never really wear clothes like that. I haven't for, for years. My brother who passed away wore that hat all the time. And so I've been wearing this hat. And uh, yeah, it just says Jesus real big on this trucker hat. And I forget sometimes that I have it on and, and what that means to people if they see it or what that, what that means about me. But I'm in this uh, shop and, and the guy's just one guy in there. He's uh, checking me out and he says, um, not like checking me out, but like checking me out. <laughs> and, well, you never know. And, um, and uh, he said, oh, I like your hat. And it took me a second. And uh, he's like, oh, I got this shirt that says, Jesus, I didn't say that. And, and we just started of have this conversation about that idea. He's like, you know, he's like, you know what? And it works for everybody, uh, Christians and atheists. Because I think he's like, we could all agree on. I said, oh, yeah, I'm pro-Jesus, but I get it. It's like, we could all agree on certain people or cultures or groups who've thrown things around in the name of God that Jesus is like, whoa, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And you get, well, didn't you say that that one time? Like, I don't think so. Or maybe it was something that was from another time and there was another direction to it, right? There was a time not too long ago because there's a verse in, deep in the Old Testament that says not to mark your bodies, that tattoos were very taboo in the church. This is old law that Jesus fulfilled. There's grace now. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. But even in this story, we see the people going back and starting to make decisions that didn't say, God didn't say. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like, okay, well, if you want to do that, do that. And they start going through and rebuilding the, the best that they can, this, this temple of the golden era of Israel, right after you know, King David of, of, who slayed Goliath, and they were just at the top of the, of the empire. And it begins to rebuild. It says, when their foundation was set to the temple, they had this huge party. This is around verse 11. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. So they have this sort of big opening, um, opening celebration. And most of the people are, are, are cheering and they're singing. And it says this, And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Like, this is it. We're back. We're establishing the altar. We're establishing the temple. This is it. But, verse 12, so verse 11, praise and thanksgiving, verse 12, but... Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Many others shouted for joy. And there's people celebrating, but there's these older priests and elders who are weeping because it wasn't like the last time. 
It wasn't as good as they remembered it. Like, wow, this is, this is it? So they cried out in grief. And the picture in their minds didn't match the reality, right? The expectation didn't match the reality. And that's a hard place for so many of us. Like, oh, man, remember the last one. It was so much better. Gosh. And there's this massive, really, miracle happening. The people have been set free. They're back home. They're building. They're underway. They've kind of begged, borrowed, and stealed, and, and, been, and been gifted the materials and people to start building this foundation of this temple. And then there's these people looking at it, grieving and weeping because it wasn't like the last time. And they're missing out on this moment, this, this celebratory God moment, because, oh, man, it's kind of better before. And we've all said those things, right? Maybe it's uh, you, you go to see a band the second time. Oh, they were better the first time. I like their older stuff better. You, know, you go to a restaurant, you're excited to take people to, like, eh, it wasn't that good. And it kind of sets us back when, 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 we're taught, when, we, when we view our experiences that way. And we were down at this, this event that last week, and, I mean, it's not a small thing. I mean, Julia Roberts and, and like I said, Leonardo DiCaprio and all, all kinds of people. But, yeah, you know, there was more stars there last time. Like, it's amazing what's happening right now. And if it's your first time, it's amazing. But you can so easily go in that position like, ah, you know what, two years ago, like, you know, whatever was there. And you miss out on the moment thinking about what was before. And being enamored with the past can rob us of the present. And it so often does. And it can also be a problem when we try to replicate the past. Man, God was doing something new. This was a new time. And these guys were so hung up on doing it exactly like they had done before. We got to get those trees from Lebanon. I remember there was gold, like they built it like this. Man, that was a different temple, different time. Appreciate what's happening now. A number of years ago, Amy and I, uh, probably four or five years ago now, we were up in, uh, went to Mammoth for a few days. And we were coming out of just a really hectic season. It was a hard season for a number of reasons. Uh, and we had just carved out a little time to get away. And it was January. And, uh, man, we go up there and we just have a blast. Um, we didn't ski or snowboard. We just, you know, we, we sledded and played in the snow and, and ate and walked around and just in, enjoyed one another in the place. Just had the best time. And I said, man, we got to do that again. And um, I think last winter... Uh, we, we took the kids up there and, uh, in December, rented a place for a few days. And, and man, it was beautiful. Had a, had, a, had a good time. But one of the places Amy and I went to while we were up there the first time was this restaurant. And we just had the best experience. I mean, I, at least I had the best experience. And, I mean, one of those things, like, it was so, you know, like, I bought the hat and the keychain and the T-shirt. I'm like, I love this place. This is my new favorite place. And, man, that's had a really good time. And so we're up there with the kids, and we're, we're having a good time. we got to go to this place again. It's going to be, uh, you're going to love it. And we go back, and I don't want to mention any names, so I'll just call it Mammoth Brewing Company. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't that good. You know, it, it wasn't, it didn't seem that good. Like, the food didn't connect with the kids that well. The service was okay. The, the seating was weird. The beer wasn't even good, and I'm pretty forgiving of beer. I'm like, this beer kind of sucks, you know. So, and it was just this, like, Hard kind of thing. Now, that was kind of for me, because no one else was thinking about it that way. Like, oh, we're just at this place. It looks cool. But I was kind of like, uh. And, and, and then when you start looking at stuff that way, everything starts to kind of irritate you. Like, oh, I don't like how the bartender looked at me. Like, I mean, it's like, what? 
And that's what this, this other party is. They're looking at this thing like, uh, they're just analyzing everything. And it's unnecessary. Because there's something happening in the moment that's really beautiful and powerful and amazing. We can miss it getting so caught up on the past. Man, our relationships can get stuck that way. We just live like, man, I think things used to be better. They used to do this. I used to be this way. I used to look this way. Like, man, you can get trapped back there and miss out what's happening now. I'm going to have the guys come up, actually. I think we'll, we'll wrap up there. And in this story, so this is chapter 3, you know, there's been this miracle that happens. They're, they're getting set free. They get to go back. They've got resources behind them. So they're fighting through some opposition because they're afraid of people around them. But they get this thing up, and now there's kind of a little bit of a sour note at the end. So, wow, people were cheering and celebrating, but the elders and the priests were weeping. And it kind of shows us something off in their heart, even though God has given all this stuff, even though the temple's coming back, like, ah, oh, because they're just trapped back there, trapped from something before. And it ends on this off note, chapter 3. We'll continue on in, uh, next week. Let's pray. God, thanks for who you are. Thanks for story. Um, Lord, thank you that you are a God of the present and that you move here and now. We love you for that. Let's pray for anyone right now, God, and anything that was touched on today that they just need deliverance from, maybe captivity. Maybe someone just feels like they are, they are in captivity, and I don't know if that's a relationship or emotional state or their own body or, or what that is, God. I just pray you would begin to speak freedom over that situation. Uh, and Lord, for those of us who just are always measuring things versus something else, helps us see, see life with fresh eyes, Lord.